All right, so we are in an Advent series called God With Us. You'll see uh, on the screen here what we're going to be talking about today. Advent is sort of a, a more traditional word for Christmas time, and the word Advent means coming or arrival. And the reason we talk about this season as Advent is because we are looking back to when Jesus came to this earth, when he came as a human being to this world, and we celebrate that arrival. Now, the reason we're also talking about this language of coming and arrival and Advent is because we're not just looking back to a nice story that happened a long time ago. You know, this time of year we talk about Santa and elves and we watch Hallmark movies. Anybody like Hallmark out there? Any men like Hallmark out there? Come on, no shame. Let's see who's a real man. All right, we got a couple. All right, no, no other real men like Edwin. I saw that hand for Hallmark right there. That's it. Saw that hand. Preachers love to say, I see that hand. So this is, this is a season when we, when we talk about these stories and these tales and this time of year. But the reason we're talking specifically about Advent is because I believe the Lord is stirring some things in my heart for my life, and he's stirring some things in my heart for this congregation. And my prayer this year, my prayer is that this December, 2023, Advent would not just be looking back to a historical tale a long time ago, but that you and I would experience an Advent this year. That you and I would experience a visitation from the Son of God in our midst. That you and I would experience the arrival of God in flesh. That Emmanuel, God with us, would not just be a concept or a doctrine, but the presence of God would be in our midst. I don't know all the details of what's happening in your heart this year, in your mind this year, in your family this year, in your finances this year, in your physical health this year, but I, I could guess that you and I could use a visitation from God in our midst. We could use the arrival of God in our midst. And so that's my prayer, church. This is not a cozy Christmas sermon. This is not just a feel-good message. There is a fire in my heart that we would encounter the living God. There's a quote for you here from Leonard Ravenhill that I came across the other day. You'll see it here on the screen. It says, when you're born in fire, smoke will never do. Friends, if I could tell you a little bit of my story, it's that I was born in fire. Some of you don't know, listen, I grew up in a church that we were wild, man. I, I was, people were laying hands on me, speaking in tongues, rolling on the floor in like fourth grade, okay? I came out of the womb just like hallelujah to Jesus, super saved by the grace of God. Every Sunday the pastor gave an altar call, I was like, I probably need saved again, on Friday nights when I was a young adult, my friends were out partying, getting drunk, getting high. I was in church encountering the power of God. You want to know what my job was on Friday nights? To physically catch people who were falling under the power of God. Nate will tell you. Nate was there. Edwin, he knows. That was my job. Like, people are falling. Like, the Lord's touching them? No, they're literally hurting themselves, falling over. Will you catch them? And listen, I want to tell you this here. When you're, when you're born in fire, you won't settle for smoke. 
When you've encountered the Lord in a real way, just playing church doesn't cut it anymore. And I'm not telling you that to say that I've done everything right. That was just like default for me. That's just what, that's all I knew. And I want to tell you here today, whether you've been saved for 50 years or you got saved yesterday, God has fresh fire with your name on it right now. I'm not going to live off yesterday's move of God. I'm not going to live off yesterday's encounter with the Lord. Right here, right now, today, God has a new thing that he's doing. And he's looking for people who will say, God, whatever it takes, I want to encounter your presence. Whatever it takes, I want to encounter your love. That's what Advent is all about. That like Joseph and Mary, we begin to prepare our homes for the arrival of the Son of God. That like the shepherds in the field, we get interrupted in the middle of ordinary life by good news of great joy that a Savior has come. That like the wise men, we begin to put everything else aside and make seeking him our singular priority. That's what Advent's about. It's about saying, I want to meet with Emmanuel. I want to meet with God in our midst. So today here... We're going to jump into Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Last time we preached from Matthew's genealogy, and if you didn't know, you could preach a genealogy. We had some fun last week. But we're going to start here in Luke 1, 5. Luke says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living with blame, without blame, according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Now, this, this reads here very much like an Old Testament story. You can see they're kind of like Abraham and Sarah. They can't have kids. They're older in life. There's no way they're going to have kids. And then an angel appears. It reads similar to Samson's parents who couldn't have kids. And an angel appears. He says, your son's going to be a, a Nazarite from birth. He's going to be holy to the Lord from birth. And in this story here, what I want to talk about today is that before Jesus comes, John comes. And before Jesus begins his ministry, John begins his ministry. So what I want to talk to you about today is this, this one idea, 
And it's that Jesus has a forerunner. Somebody say forerunner. Jesus has a forerunner. You see, in the Bible, what we see over and over again is that before the great day of the Lord comes, before God reveals himself in power and in glory, God sends somebody, he sends a John, who will begin to prepare the hearts of the people. What did this this final verse say that we read here? To make ready for the Lord a prepared people. That what God does before he sends the Spirit, before he sends Jesus, before he sends a mighty move, what he does is he sends a John. He sends a forerunner. He sends someone to begin to prepare the way for the Lord, to begin to prepare people so that when the Lord comes, they will be ready. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus, he shows up to people all the time without any human involvement because he's just that good. But it seems in the scriptures that God's plan to redeem the world involves you and me. It involves you and I joining him in his work of redemption and restoration. So what, is, what happens before the baby Jesus comes? The baby John comes. Because God is looking for a forerunner who begin to prepare the hearts of the people, who begin to announce God is coming. You don't want to miss it. You better get ready. The great day of the Lord has come. And what I want to tell you here today is that as you and I begin to talk about a move of God in our city, as we begin to talk about a great outpouring of the Spirit, as we begin to talk about a city coming alive by the glory of God, as we begin to talk about these things, I want you to know that God's Spirit is not going to fall and change the city one day out of nowhere. What's He going to do? He's going to send a John. He's going to send a forerunner. You see, before the city is transformed, transformed cities start with transformed churches. And transformed churches start with transformed men and women. That the awakening that you and I are looking for is not just sitting around hoping that one day God fixes all the problems out there. What he does is he starts by fixing you and me. Now, see, we don't like that as much. We want God to to go fix them out there. Nobody wants God to fix them first. Smile at me. I'm still your friend. That if we want to see a great move of God come to our city, to see the divorce rate change, to see drug overdoses decline, to see crime decline, to see our city begin to flourish, to see people begin to prosper, it starts with a forerunner. It starts with John. And I believe that in this hour, that is what God is looking for. So John here is a Nazarite. We know John's a Nazarite because the book of Numbers says that if somebody wanted to make a special vow to God in the Old Testament, there were a number of things that they would do, and then they would be set apart as holy to God. What they would do is they wouldn't wouldn't drink any alcohol, they wouldn't cut their hair, and they wouldn't go near any dead bodies. Not even for like a funeral for a relative. They didn't want to be near death at all. This was, this was what the Old Testament law said. That for people who wanted to make this special vow. And what we see for John here, this Nazarite John, who was a Nazarite from birth, is that over the course of his life, he was set apart for God. And the truth is, in the church today... We want to see a move of God come, but we don't want to be Nazarites. 
We want, we want the benefits of God coming, but we don't want it to cost us too much. We want the, the great and the fun and the exciting and the spectacular, but we don't want that holiness part too much. We don't want it to cost us too much. We don't want to have to, to give up too much. We don't want to have to, to inconvenience ourselves too much. And I believe that what God is looking for here today is that when the world is asleep, there's a few people who will be awake. When the world is corrupt, there will be a few people that will be set apart as holy. In a world that's distracted and divided, there will be a few who give the Lord their singular allegiance. Now, I don't, I don't think God's looking for literal Nazarites today. I'm not saying, you know, don't get any more haircuts out there. I mean, hey, it works for me. Sorry, it doesn't work for you guys, right? I'm not saying, like, you have to literally follow the Old Testament law. We're not under that anymore. But there is this, this invitation to a radical, holy lifestyle which welcomes the presence of God in a way that nothing else does. Question, where are Nazarites made? The answer is the wilderness. Luke 1.80 says this, The child, this is John, grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Luke 3, 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. What, what is the wilderness? Does this mean you and I literally go out into the desert somewhere? Hopefully not. I'd probably die. The word of God appears to John in the wilderness because the wilderness is the place where everything else is stripped away. All the comforts, all the ease, all the distractions, all of it is taken away so that you and I are alone with God. What does it look like for you and I to have a wilderness encounter with God? It means like looking, making space in your time, in your schedule, in your attention, in your desires, in your money, making space for God to be alone with you. To say, God, this, is, this thing is set apart for you. This hour is set apart for you. This time is set apart for you. This gift you've given me is set apart for you. This money that you've given me is set apart for you. It's about making space where there's nothing else but you and him. You see, it's about being absent from the world so we can be present to God. Listen, God is everywhere. There's no magic in the wilderness. The only reason that God appears to us more in the wilderness is not because he's absent everywhere else. It's because we're absent everywhere else. We wonder why we can't connect with God in the secret place. Maybe God's absent. I think the answer is that we're absent, that we don't show up. And when we show up, our hearts haven't shown up and our minds haven't showed up. And in the wilderness, when everything else is stripped away, we are absent from the world to be present to God in fullness. Do we say, God, you have all of me? The wilderness is this place where, where everything is stripped away. We leave everything else behind so we can be holy to the Lord. We set apart to him, making space to say, God, I belong to you and you alone. 
And you see, the thing about the wilderness is that it's, it's, it's the one place, because everything else is taken away, that we have to depend on him. Because it's easy in the midst of everything going well and everything going perfect and all the busyness and all the distractions to just give God a few nice words and say a few nice things and then we go on with the busyness of life. But in the wilderness, it's just you and him. That everything else is separated. Everything else is put aside. Everything else is put on the back burner because God himself is our portion. God himself is our prize. It says here that that the voice of God came to John in the wilderness. Now, John didn't live there forever, but it's in the wilderness where we hear the voice of God, and it changes us, and then we become a voice from the wilderness to the world. See, the church always has to be both for the world and against the world at the same time. And here's what I mean. If there are churches out there that are only for the world, we don't want to offend people. We're not going to preach that verse because it rubs people the wrong way. We're not going to talk about these ideas because it will offend people. And the church that is only for the world has nothing to offer the world. The church that's only for the world has nothing to offer it but what the world already has. And on the other hand, you have churches that are only against the world, only railing against the sin and the wickedness, and they become proud and isolated, and let's just build our little community that looks down on everybody else. No, the church has to be both for the people of the world, for the goodness and beauty in our society where it exists, and at the same time against the evil and the powers of darkness that run rampant in our societies. And you see, if we're going to be a, a, a movement for our city, if we're going to be part of God's answer for our city, we will never be a voice to the people around us unless we decide we get into the wilderness. Unless we decide that no matter what it takes, we're going to get alone from everything, we're going to get away from everything so that you and I can become a voice to a generation. And listen, you don't, you don't have to be a pastor with a microphone to be a voice. If the only people who are voices from the wilderness are pastors, we will miss out on reaching so much of society. Kelly, Kelly's a doctor. She's not a pastor. If I gave her the microphone right now, she'd probably divorce me. She can't stand being in front of people. Being in front of a crowd is like a terrible idea to her. But she loves people. And in her practice one-on-one, Not only does she talk about people's physical challenges, people will open up about stuff in their life, and she'll pray with them. She's a doctor. She's she's not Reverend Kelly, pastor. No, she's a woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit to be a voice, and you're called to be a voice. That if you work in a factory, you're a voice from the wilderness. So that factory becomes a place where the glory of God dwells. If you work in an office, you're a voice coming from the wilderness to that office. You're declaring the Lord is coming. Get ready. Prepare the way. Here he comes. God is looking for somebody who will say, I'll be a voice. I'll be a voice from the wilderness. I'll be the one preparing the way. We're going to level these mountains. We're going to fill in these valleys. We're going to prepare a highway because the Lord is coming. He's coming in power. He's coming in glory. 
That's what he wants, church. He wants a wilderness generation. He wants a generation that's a voice. It's not in love with the corruption of the world, but it's a wilderness generation. It's a generation that says, you can have all that stuff in the world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me the wilderness because I know he's there. Just give me the wilderness because I know his presence is there. His love is there. You can, you can run after success and all the idols of the world, and I got to get that house. I got to get that promotion, and the world will offer you all these things. But the wilderness man, the wilderness woman says, you can have it all. Just give me Jesus. Before Jesus comes, John comes. Before Jesus is born, John is born. Before Jesus starts announcing the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John begins to announce that God's kingdom is at hand. And I believe that in this generation, in this moment, right here, Lowville, Ohio, December 3rd, 2023, God is looking for some Nazarites. God is looking for some Johns. He's looking for some John the Baptizers, some John the son of Zacharias, who will go out into the wilderness and they'll be holy all the days of their life. The thing about the Nazarites is they weren't just saying no to sin, they were saying no to good things that other people enjoyed. You see, the wilderness and the Nazarite, he gives up not only the bad, he even gives up all the good distractions that keep people from God. He sets it all aside to be holy for him, to be set apart for him. Church, I'm telling you, God has been stirring some things in my heart. And I want to tell you this here, not just, not just to preach the text, but to, to also speak prophetically here. I believe God has something incredible in store for this city. I believe God has something incredible for our neighborhoods, for our families, for our communities. Why do I believe that? I believe it because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. I believe that he still saves, still heals, still delivers, still sets free. And I believe that the way God is going to move is by sending a few forerunners. He's going to send a few John the Baptizers who will begin to announce from the wilderness, God is coming. Who will begin to announce from the wilderness, he's coming. Now listen, this, this is not just a, you know, hey, let's get hype, let's get excited. It costs you something. The wilderness costs you something. You see, everybody likes the idea of John, but nobody wants to sacrifice like John. We want John's voice, but we don't want John's sacrifice. We want to be a voice like John, but we don't want to have to give up everything and go into the wilderness like John. And yet it's when you and I leave it behind, lay it all aside, and say, God, I'm here for you. That is when the Holy Spirit begins to move on a generation. John 1, 19 says this. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice 
of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet had said. Here's what I love about this. They are so caught up in John's identity. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you this person? No. Are you that person? No. And you see, our world is caught up in, I got to be this name. I got to be this accomplishment. I got to be this success. And even in the church, you have churches and pastors and brands who are trying to exalt themselves. And I love John's humility. Who are you, John? I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice in the wilderness. I'm just a voice telling you that someone mightier than me is coming. And what we need in this hour is not Christians who are so busy pointing to themselves, to their own gifts, their own talents, their own abilities. And I know you guys, this is some of the most gifted people in the world. But John says, it's not about me. There's one coming after me and he's mightier than I am in the strap of his sandals. I'm not worthy to even untie. I'm baptizing you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What we need right now is people who say, I'm just a voice. I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm not anybody special. And this isn't some false humility. This isn't me just trying to put myself down. You want to know who I am? I'm just a guy from the wilderness who's saying someone better than me is coming. And thank God. Someone better than me is coming to this city. Someone better than you is coming to this city. And it's Jesus of Nazareth. The Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. I know you feel like you're not, you're not good enough, you're not qualified. Guess what? You're not. I'm not either. And that's okay. You don't have to be. You just have to be a voice. John said a little bit later on when all the people began to follow Jesus' ministry, all of John's disciples began to leave him to follow Jesus. And they said, does that bother you? He said, no, I'm just, I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. I must decrease, but he must increase. It's not about us, friends. It's not about us, church. It's not about our names and our reputations and our bank accounts. It's not about our houses or our cars. It's about being a voice, being a voice for one who's the real answer, who's the real hope. It's not us. It's not me. It's not City Alive. It's him. And if you and I can become a forerunner generation, a Nazarite generation, we will see the greatest move of God that this city has ever seen. It's not about us. It's not about us being better than anybody else. I've been praying lately, not just that God would move here. God, I'm praying that all the churches across this city will be filled with people. I pray that believers from every church in this region will be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. It's not about us. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. That's, that's what Advent is all about. Not just some nice fairy tale. It's about preparing for his advent right here today.